0: Hello, and welcome to Stride and Saunter, episode 197. I'm Kip Clark, and joining me in the studio today, we have another guest, Sarah Prusky. Hi, hello. And based in a personal story of ours, we're going to be talking about the question or phrase, Can we be friends? Now to share our history as friends, you and I had met at a holiday party in December of 2017. You were present with your wife, and a friend of mine had invited me. And milling about the table of food, which of course contained marvelous cookies that you had made and brought, we struck up conversation and me being me, got into some personal topics, especially on my end, things that had happened recently. And I can't speak for you, but I had a blast talking to you. You were decidedly open, good-humored, articulate, and various other things I won't get into so as to flatter you here, but the point being that it was an excellent first impression, and I hoped we would speak again at some point. But before we left... There was, I think between us and mutually so, a statement, more so than a question, that there was friendship, or the seeds of it, something we should pursue further and make plans to hang out at some point in the future. And while that experience was lovely and refreshing and memorable, it's my perspective that an experience like that, where mutual friendship is eagerly sought and concretely agreed upon, is rare and more unique and atypical than it should be.
1: Yeah, it was a fascinating experience at that party because my past experiences at parties kind of go one of two ways. I somewhat confidently approach people and solicit from them details about their lives, their interests, and often are met enthusiastically in my request. Very rarely, however, do I have interactions such as we had where it was a very direct very open conversation. We kind of did a deep dive very quickly (laughs) into very personal issues. But there was a social contract that was entered into very quickly, which is rare, but even more rare was the vocal acknowledgement of such. And to your point about the statement or question at the time. It wasn't so much a, can we be friends? At, I think I remember at one point, it was definitively, okay, we are friends now. We are going to be friends, and now we are going to go do the friend things. And that's, that's just not very common, but it was lovely. It's fascinating as to why it's not common. I think perhaps it's viewed very much as aggressive, potentially, these days, um, and yet children say it all the time. So the question is posed, is it Something that children say? Is it something that adults say? Is it awkward? Is it endearing? It goes back to a relationship of confidence and complexity and where you find that. People willing to state what they're thinking as they're thinking it. That tends to get scrubbed out in adult party conversations. It's far more nuanced. It's not very black and white perhaps we can both agree that this is a phrase that one would hear or at least associate with children with childhood. It's very straightforward. It's very simple. The assumption is that the answer is yes. And as children, I think we are very confident. Again, I'm speaking in broad strokes, but on the whole, children are very confident and present very little complexity biologically as well as mentally. And I think that relationship goes a little bit inverse as we become adults. We get far more complex and far less bold, far less confident. So it's no longer, can we be friends? It's, hi, hello, where are you from? Who are our mutual friends? What are our mutual interests? And the question of then can we be friends is somehow replaced by a silent acknowledgement that this should be holistic, this should be organic, it should be natural. If we become friends after a social interaction, what's meant to be is meant to be. It will happen.
0: I'm fascinated by your point that we do make the assumption, were we brave enough to ask the question, at least in younger years, that the answer is yes. And perhaps one of the reasons we don't ask it more is because as we grow up, we're aware that not everyone's going to like us. We may even encounter people who, for one reason or another, hate us. You could be at a party getting along fine with someone, in fact, even feeling like you've really hit it off, and then politics or religion comes up, and what had previously been not only smooth sailing, but a voyage under clear skies, suddenly turns stormy and tense. And in that context, had sensitive issues not come up, perhaps friendship could have been possible. And it may still be. But we are both cultured, and I think in some senses by nature, encouraged to be discriminating. And not necessarily in the typical sense of discriminating based on demographic information, but looking out for details, things that might cue us off to hostile behavior, attitudes we won't agree with, etc., And you also get at the relationship between complexity and friendship. And this question, this utterance, almost belies simplicity. And I'm not sure where I yet stand on it, but I do think, as children, our friendships are relatively simple. We spend time with people, maybe our parents or guardians arrange activities, or bring us from place A to place B, but friendship, in so many cases, is circumstantial. We find ourselves in this room, in this class, on this sports team together. So, I suppose we're friends now. And you might even ask the question, can we be friends, less as an inquiry and more as a statement, hey, I think we're friends. But it's my contention that people can become complex as individuals and still maintain a certain beautiful simplicity in friendship. I look around at a lot of my friendships and while they are not simple people, What we enjoy with one another is often just time spent with one another. Friends who don't live in Massachusetts like I do will make time to speak with me over the phone. And while technologically that may be complicated, it's a relatively simple task, and yet for me, rather fulfilling. So I wonder if the cultural reservation around questions like this comes from this belief that if you are a complex individual, maybe you lead a complex life, your friends and friendships have to mirror that in some way.
1: With complexity, there's the assumption of nuance. Simple could be equated to black and white. Nuance could be equated to gray, right? When it comes to friendship... When you're a child, it's usually, initially, friendship out of circumstance. They are the kids next door. They are the ones in the homeroom. In my case, they were whoever had the best snacks. You had the best snacks in your lunchbox. Congratulations, you're now my best friend. This is still true to this day. If someone gives me a treat, hi, hello, I will speak to you all night. Complexity doesn't have to be at the expense of simplicity when it comes to friendship. Perhaps the beauty of the statement, can we be friends? The sentiment behind it is because it is so straightforward. There's nowhere to hide in that statement. The assumption of yes is an intended one. I think if you say it, unless you're completely tone deaf, the assumption still is that you will get a yes back. If you're tone deaf, sure, you could say it, but I'm pretty sure the answer you get back would not be an honest one. It's a little bit of a stacked deck that I think someone who is bold and aggressive enough to say it in conversation well knows that the answer that they get back is one that they would hear if they've been reading all the social cues correctly. So perhaps it's less a question of complexity versus simplicity as one of intention. At least in our case, the statement of it, the acknowledgement of it to each other was a foregone conclusion. It was a formality at that point, even to our bystanders who were confused as to why we were hugging by a plate of cookies. The statement was an afterthought. But it's interesting that it's not heard more. I'm not sure I've actually ever heard it outside of using it myself or remembering it as a child. It's curious as to why it's not brought up more. Perhaps it's just awkward for people. They do prefer more organic social graces, cultural norms, allowing someone to back out, allowing someone to say no, even if there is an affection there within a conversation. We are groomed to have filters culturally. And putting someone on the spot with such a question is a bit on the nose, I suppose. But it could be seen as tone deaf or childlike, or it could be seen as very formal. It's kind of a cauterizing of something that you already know is there. I think it's a very interesting statement socially. You're showing your hand a little bit, but you don't do so unless the other person already knows what you have holding.
0: Now I agree with you that it is a revelation of one's hand, but because it might need to be where someone else doesn't know how you feel. In the version you and I have cast where children might say it more openly, I think there, curiously enough, it's more of a formality because children, at least as you and I perceive them in these cases, are perceived to have simpler motives, and also an intuitive understanding of one another that is really beautiful and to an extent we might lose as adults, although it could be argued we gain more clarity and what was previously intuition is now replaced by careful observation and assessment of one's social standing, behaviors, etc. And I'm open for debate there, But i really love that you've touched on vulnerability because one of my first notes in preparing for this is that this question is a mixture of offering vulnerability and requesting something personal of someone else both of which draw considerable discomfort in our culture And so while I will ceaselessly talk about vulnerability and other things I worry about in the context of our culture, this question presents an amazing intersection of requesting things from other people. I think breaching what is at times a social contract of independence and isolation. I don't need to know what you're doing. Just let me do my thing in my lane and we'll be fine. And also the recognition of vulnerability. Hey, I know we don't usually breach lanes, but I'm feeling alone or confused or in need of human contact. Could we be companionate with one another? And not unlike our natural aversion for the morbid, people don't like being reminded of their legitimate faults, weaknesses, or natural pitfalls of being human. One of which, at least from where I stand, is that we need other people to be healthy, to understand the world, To make us feel connected and understood we are at our roots social beings and that doesn't mean you have to socialize with everyone but i think in many ways to come back to culture we've reached a point where this question to me a very human one reminding others of your shared needs and also your shared ability to be companions to one another has become anathema This question is not acceptable, although it may not be actively censored or repressed, but it is an unusual one. And as a single tile in the complex mosaic that is our world, that tells us a great deal.
1: I agree. It is a social contract that you enter into. And friendship is a fascinating arena to look at this sort of question in, because when you look at the other types of relationships or companionships, So often, there is a distinct entry and a distinct exit point. If you look at romantic relationships, for example, there's usually a question posed. Would you like to go out with me sometime? Would you like to get a drink? Would you like to go study? Would you marry me? Similarly, there's an exit point. I don't think this is working out. You know, I'd like to see other people. It's not you. It's me. Friendships, there really isn't. Somehow, It's all under this silent social contract. You enter into it holistically. You find mutual interests through mutual people. You talk about things and you kind of know in your gut if it's there or if it isn't. There's no verbal acknowledgement of it outside of phrases or a phrase like this. Similarly, there's really no exit point either. People talk about toxic relationships all the time and how they got out of them. I've had so many conversations about friendships that have gone toxic. And there's no clean way to get out of it. There's typically no breakup conversation, as it were. There's no clean ending point. Socially, we're sort of expected to just let it fade. You drift apart. You lose contact. Nobody calls an end to it like a breakup. It's interesting that we have these types of relationships, these types of companionships that are marked with clear entry and exit points some fire exits, depending on if you need to get in or get out quickly. But for friendship, it's all very nuanced, except in childhood, arguably, if only by where you grew up, by how you were raised, by social status, or just by circumstance, mutual interests, homerooms, shared subjects, shared likes, shared dislikes. It's far more organic as adults. And it's interesting because friendships are so crucial when you're growing up. And arguably couldn't be more important than when you're an adult. And it's so rarely talked about. Sometimes you need to work at them as an adult. And it's really not something that's clearly demarcated in front of you at all.
0: I'm really glad you brought up toxic relationships because in a romantic or other circumstance, people find ways to make a clean break. And what stands out to me is that a toxic romantic relationship that ends is a clearly understood phenomenon. It's almost a stereotype. And while not everyone is going to agree with your decision to leave certain relationships, it isn't an uncommon avenue to take. Whereas cutting off a toxic friendship or maybe a toxic relationship with a family member is far less often discussed or understood, I would say, in our society at large. And with any linguistic conversation, a lot of this revolves around how we define the word friend. And if we're being honest, that's a conversation that could happen for hours and involve countless participants because the word friend has so many different emotional definitions depending on who you are. If you look at social media platforms, we might be led to believe that each of us has a few hundred or even upwards of a thousand friendships But if you were to ask someone, maybe a few centuries ago, living anywhere in the world, how many friends they had, their number would likely be far smaller, and they might scoff at our belief that we have, in a very literal sense, 1,200 friends on Facebook. And as I've often observed as a sociological phenomenon, when something isn't defined or can take on many meanings that word, phrase, etc. can be co-opted for all kinds of different agendas, ideologies, or attitudes. And so I think one reason this question might rub people the wrong way is that they have, I think understandably so, a presumption that people plan to use them or that new social connections or obligations will drain rather than energize them. So if you or I approached them and said, hey, I really enjoyed talking with you, can we be friends? Their first thought might be, great, here's someone who wants me to help them feel less lonely. I am an object to them. Maybe they want me to support them on a certain social media platform or help them with something when I don't know who they are. And indeed, you don't necessarily owe those people anything. But to me, it speaks to a certain unspoken cynicism that if someone were to say that to you, your first presumption, and I think this is true of many, if not all of us, is that they mean to use you in some way rather than share spaces and times with you, which I think is really what true and healthy friendships are about.
1: Absolutely. Friendships are relationships at their very heart. And as such, it should be a two-way street or a three-way street, however many friends you have in a circle. Whatever it ends up being called or however you define it, It is a social contract. Again, contracts have clean entry and clean exit points. And like a contract, there are clauses, there are consequences for lack of compliance to terms, to multiple failed use cases. There are fights and arbitrations in any number of forms over years, decades. And it'd be interesting to see how this social contract could evolve if it was sort of taken as such. And it's interesting because romantic relationships are very much considered binary in or out. And only in the modern day, thanks to social platforms specifically, things like Facebook allowing relationship statuses to be things like It's Complicated, which I'm not sure is a thing anymore. But in the olden days, when it started in the early 2000s, I decidedly remember the status It's Complicated. Friendships... Really don't have a status of it's complicated. There's usually quotes around the phrase, we had a falling out or we drifted apart. And unlike romantic relationships, which are mostly referred to in binary terms as active or inactive, with friendships, it's a spectrum, just like a relationship. Things are not always good all of the time or things are not bad all of the time. It's nuance. And that's why I kind of love. Going back to the straightforward, simplistic inquiry of can we be friends is because it strips away the nuance of it and you have a clearly marked entrance to a social contract that you can duck out of in the future. But for now, it's pretty clear if there is a yes or if there is a no.
0: I really appreciate the concept of a contract because of its finality in the context of this conversation. You're not asking, could we try out friendship, or hey, are we maybe sort of a little bit friends? You are, at least according to this question, asking a very direct and somewhat simple question of someone else, but one that, as you pointed out, asks for a form of commitment presumably after one or few interactions. And I sympathize with people, potentially listeners, who hear this and say, I hope I never hear that question because it is so blunt and does put a great deal of pressure on me to decide. You had earlier mentioned the famous question, will you marry me? But in a great number of circumstances that I've heard of, the engagement was a foregone conclusion, and, to bring this word back, the proposal was more of a formality than an actual surprise. And I will concede that, though I feel differently, a lot of people loathe surprises, and especially ones that carry great weight, social or otherwise. So while you and I might love this question, which I admittedly do, I do sympathize with those who see it as a great hammer being brought down and absolutely shattering a somewhat tranquil, if superficial or not necessarily personal, social interaction. But all of that being said, Sarah, before we conclude this episode, what would you like the audience to think about after listening to this conversation?
1: Think about putting yourself out there. Try it out. As a part time social anthropologist in my other life, In studies and such, I'd say do your own little social experiment in a safe environment. If you're so comfortable doing it, try it out. See what the person's reaction is. See what your reaction is. So put yourself out there and see what happens. Try it out. The worst that can happen is they say no. And now you've already anticipated that they say no. So you're done. But put yourself out there.
0: As we've brought up romantic relationships time and again in this conversation other people will excitedly ask you about the status of your romantic relationship if you've asked someone out yet if you're planning on moving in etc others are interested in the status of those relationships but at least in my experience i don't recall too many questions if any about the status of our friendships if you have initiated contact with someone you think would be a good friend I don't think anyone in my life has ever followed up on that interest of mine, even though friendships are one of, if not my favorite part, of being alive. Also present in this conversation, we talked about how we enter friendships, and that this might be a somewhat direct, if for some blunt and uncomfortable, means of entering a friendship, And I'd love to know what other routes you think might exist, and are there some that are less verbal than others, and does that make them more comfortable or palatable? And of course, Sarah, as a good friend and guest, I'd especially like to thank you for coming on and discussing this today. Thank you, Kip. But as always, we want this to be a conversation among, not simply a conversation between, Ours are only two voices, and while we might use them to ask this particular question, we're not the only people out there who have friends, so we'd really love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter or on Facebook. You can also email us via strideandsaunter at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to the show, as well as supporting us on Patreon, where in exchange for your support, you'll receive perks like exclusive bonus episodes. And as always, we thank you very much for listening. And from thought to word and voice to ear, this is Kip Clark signing off.